Good morning. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Pastor Annika, and I'm on staff here, and it is my pleasure to welcome us here this morning. We still have Christmas decorations up. That's not a mistake. This past Wednesday was Epiphany, the day that we celebrate the lightness that has come in the dark. And if ever there was a week where we needed to celebrate lightness coming in the dark, I think this one qualifies. So today we're going to celebrate that. We also are going to be talking about baptism and the renewal that comes with Jesus Christ. One announcement before we continue. Uh, Because of the extended temporary guidelines that restrict gathering sizes, this coming Wednesday was supposed to be a midweek night. We will not be hosting midweek So families of GEMS, cadets, middle schoolers, please watch your email. You'll be getting updates from leaders about alternative scheduling. Um, But midweek, as is normally planned, will not be taking place in this building. So thank you for that. Would you rise, embody your spirit, and join me in this morning's call to worship? God said... This is my son, with whom I am well pleased. But this one has has no splendor, no beauty. This is my child, in whom I take delight. But this one carries the load of a servant, not the scepter of a king. This is my child, whom I have called. But this one demands justice from all earth's nations. His words shall judge our own. This is my child, whom I uphold. But this one would release the dungeon's prisoners. He would set the captives free. This is my child, whose hand I hold. But this one is a man of sorrows. He is no stranger to grief. This is my child, I give him to you. Surely this child will bear our suffering on his shoulders and carry our rejection in his heart. Wounded for our transgressions, he will be cut off from the land of the living. Like sheep, we have gone astray. Like a lamb, he shall be led to the slaughter. And still, our God declares it. This is my beloved child, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. In the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Spirit, Lord, we come, we gather together to lift up your name, to call on our Savior, to fall on your grace. In the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Spirit, Lord, we come, we gather together up your name to call 
You may be seated. As we come into worship together today, we do so beholding this mystery of God who comes among us, who is somehow present even among us now, and who takes something as simple as water and turns it into a mighty and powerful symbol of what he has done for us. Today uh, is a special Sunday, not least of which because we gather in God's name, but also because we get to remember, uh, to celebrate, and to give thanks that God has given us new leaders for a coming year, new elders and deacons. Before we recognize their particular calling, though, we have a chance to remember the calling that we have in common, which is symbolized in our baptism. When we think of baptism, usually we highlight that it's something that gets us in, We talk about baptism as being something that brings us into church, but baptism is also a symbol of how we go out. It's a symbol of calling for us. 
So uh, baptism is what makes us priests. And any priest will tell you that your job as a priest is to stand between, to stand between God and the world. And so together here in this in-between place, we are situated on the one hand between God who has offered us um, the promises of a whole new world full of grace, redemption, healing, a place where there is no more fear or death or suffering or pain. And on the other hand, we stand with one foot in a world that is in desperate need of healing because it suffers greatly. And as priests, our job today is to stand between. And in this place between seeing what God offers and what the world needs, there's a tension that grows. And what we do with that tension is we turn it into prayer. This has been a difficult week for all of us. This morning, we have a chance to sing and to pray the longings and the pain and the hurt that we see in the world around us. We give voice to that on behalf of the world that is suffering, and we bring it to God in the plea and in the hope that he will bring his healing, not just to the world, but also to us. And so, friends, I would invite you now to join me in a time of renewal remembering our baptism and our calling to speak and voice prayers on behalf of this world. Brothers and sisters, by God's grace, we have died to sin. We have been raised to new life. And now God has called us to a life of ministry in a broken world wearing the clothes of his son. Congregation, I ask you to acknowledge sin and its consequences and to profess and to sing your faith in Jesus Christ. You can remain seated. We will do this uh, singing a refrain and a song, and I will offer some words of prayer on our behalf. Please join us in singing Healer of Our Every Ill. Merciful God, when we see the brokenness and violence in our world, it is tempting to point a finger of blame at others. Yet in your presence we see that we are not blameless. We too contribute to the brokenness and pain of our world. We confess to you now our sin and its consequences, disorder in the world and in our lives. Forgive us, Lord, from peace that is not peace, from the grip of all that is evil, from a violent righteousness, from unbridled desire and stunted hopes, from pride that says, we know what to do. Deliver us, Lord, from that which disorders our world, from moodiness and irritability that makes us difficult to live with, from insensitivity that makes us careless, 
from selfishness that makes life harder for others. Deliver us, Lord, from that which disorders our home, from the fear that there is not enough, from a need to control our surroundings, from the belief that we cannot trust you. Deliver us, Lord, from that which disorders us. shed on the cross by your Son. Forgive us, Prince of Peace, by your weeping over the city, by your refusal of the sword, by your facing of our horror. Heal your world, Lord, by the folly of your gospel, by choosing to put on flesh, by your nakedness and pain. Heal our homes, Lord, by your bursting from the tomb, by your coming in judgment, by your making peace with your blood. Heal our wounds and divisions, Lord, and grant us peace. and sisters, hear the healing and reconciling good news 
Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. We thought him punished by God, stricken and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. Like sheep, each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Friends, in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, we are assured that there is no sin so terrible that God cannot forgive, and no wound so isolating that God cannot heal. God accepts, God forgives, and God sets free. Receive the forgiving love of God for you. Lord, marked as those who belong to you, send us out to heal divisions and to declare our world belongs to God. In Jesus' name, amen. The peace that God has given us, all of this weighty peace, comes down to something as simple as the ability to turn to each other, to look at each other, and to say peace, and to shake hands, which, of course, we can't do right now. But I would invite you now to practice. Would you rise and pass the peace to each other? The peace of Christ be with you. So forgiven, restored, empowered to a different way of life, we now have the great honor of uh, taking what we share in common, which is this baptismal calling, and talking about a particular way that that calling shows up in the life of a few people whom God has chosen in the life of our church to help us more and more live into this calling that we share in common. I'm talking about new elders and deacons, and we are very grateful today to welcome, to honor, and to celebrate them. Let's do that together. Beloved congregation of Jesus Christ, today we celebrate because our faithful God continues to provide leadership for us, his people. One of the ways God cares for us is by providing elders and deacons, and so today we celebrate the work that Steve Stinson and Mark Hackathorne and Dave Eckbold and Lillian Hackathorne have done these years. They have served well. Together we say, we praise you, Lord, for empowering their leadership and service among us. Give Steve, Mark, Dave, and Lillian rest from their work. We praise God today also for providing successors. Tony Brookhouse, Don LaFrancis, Ruth Banstra, and Connor Kewick. Jesus uh, shows his love for the church by giving us elders and deacons. Through the Holy Spirit, Christ appoints leaders from among us and by his spirit equips them to serve the church so that the church may grow, grow in faith, Grow in discipleship and obedience to Jesus. Grow in selfless service for others. And thereby grow in living the good news of the gospel. Jesus gave us his model of leadership when he said, Whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. 
Each office has its own work of service. Elders serve by shepherding the church in Christ's name. Elders shepherd the spiritual well-being of God's people. They provide true teaching and preaching. They ensure that we celebrate the sacraments and uh, give faithful counsel and discipline in confidence to the people who trust them. They also encourage our love for each other, keep things in good order, and help us to share the gospel in the world around us. Deacons serve by leading us and showing mercy to one another and to the wider world. Deacons model Christian life that longs for God's kingdom, and they help us see to having that kingdom take shape in our lives today. Deacons are called to use God's wisdom to assess our resources and needs, to promote stewardship and hospitality, to collect and disperse resources for benevolence, and to develop ways to assist those in need. They are also called to build up the church with their words. Deacons, in word and deed, embody God's care for us and for the world. To be an elder and to be a deacon is a weighty task. The work is only fitting for followers of Jesus, those who seek to have their lives look like Jesus' life. They must trust God deeply, and they must be people who will do the work the way God wants it done, with patience, humility, and a lot of prayer. It's time to install uh, and ordain our new elders and deacons and to install them for the work in this congregation. Don, Tony, Maria, there you are. Uh, Ruth, there you are. And Connor, okay. Need to know where you guys were. Um, we affirm your callings to be our elders and our deacons. Will you affirm your callings? And please rise. You guys can go ahead and come forward. We'll arrange ourselves here. <laughs> Excellently done. In the presence of your brothers and sisters, and in the presence of God who loves you, would you please answer these questions? Do you believe that this call to be an elder or a deacon comes from God himself? Don? Tony? Connor? Ruth? Do you trust that the Old and New Testament are God's word for us, and that his word should shape and govern our lives? Don? Tony? Connor? Ruth? Do you promise to love and support the teachings and practice of this church as you do the ministry of elder and deacon? Don? Tony? Connor? Ruth? Do you promise to do this work faithfully, to seek God's approval in it, and to submit yourself to the government and discipline of the church? Don? Tony? Connor? Ruth? I have one for you guys, too. Would you please rise? Beloved people of God, do you receive Don and Tony and Connor and Ruth as servants of Jesus himself for your growth? Will you pray for and encourage them as they accept this responsibility for our common life? And do you promise to respond to their service and leadership with trust and love as if to Jesus himself? What is your answer? We do, 
Excellent. You may be seated. I'll invite all current uh, council members to remain standing and to extend your hands. Don, Tony, Connor, Ruth, we ordain you for this ministry in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. May God, who called you to this work, guide you by his word. May he equip you with everything that you need by his spirit. And may he he grow us all through your ministry so that our church is built up and God's name is glorified. Amen. You guys can be seated. A little charge for you guys, too. Don and Tony, guard yourselves and all the flock of which God has made you each an overseer. Be a shepherd of God's church. These people whom Jesus has bought with his own blood, shepherd us young and old, with compassion and discipline. Help us to hope in God's promises. Suffer with those who suffer and celebrate with those who are joyful. Be trustworthy with what we share with you. Listen to, build up, and pray for your pastor. Study God's word so that you can be fed for your work and so that you can teach, rebuke, correct, and train us in righteousness. Allow God to be your shepherd, for that is the path God has set for us to be able to shepherd others. Ruth, Connor, I guess I'll go this way. Seek God's wisdom and how best to use the resources that God has given us. Help us to see all that God has given us, money, time, skills, abilities, life experiences. Help us to believe that Jesus has given us more than enough and help us to trust that by giving generously, Encourage us to love God's mercy by being merciful. Encourage us to long for God's justice in the world, living God's justice in our own lives. Minister to rich and poor alike. Give us dignity by treating all people as created in the image of God and not as people who have or don't have money. Be trustworthy and compassionate as you enter our lives and know God's words so that you can give us hope in your words and your deeds. Allow God to care for you, for that is the example God has set for us to care for each other. I'd like to offer a prayer for us. Would you join me? Gracious God, you are Lord of all the earth and this church. We thank you for Steve, for Mark, for Dave, and for Lillian. Thank you now for calling Don, Tony, Ruth, and Connor. Now, we ask that you would equip them to help lead us as a church. Fill them with your Holy Spirit. Give them wisdom and your mighty strength. Give them joy as they serve you faithfully. May they be filled with awe as they watch you work in our lives. Use them to glorify your name and build us up in our faithful service. We receive Don and Tony and Connor and Ruth now with gladness and respect as your faithful servants. We pray all of this in the power of the Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who is the head of the church. Amen. Amen, indeed. Friends, would you welcome your new elders and deacons? We should sing. Rise in body or spirit and join in the song. 
Hello, me again. Friends, uh, this morning I have the great uh, privilege to offer prayers on our behalf. When we gather for worship as we do, brought into the presence of God, healed, forgiven, restored, empowered, it is right and fitting that the next thing we should do is have a conversation with God. And so we bring together now concerns from the life of our church and those in the world around us. Would you join me in this prayer? Lord God, you cause the sun to rise and you tell it to set at the end of the day. Your sunrise and sunset teach us that morning and evening are yours. The sun is yours to shine, the earth is yours to govern, and we are your servants, whom you have made and whom you love. Today we thank you for the chance to welcome new servants among us, Don and Tony and Connor and Ruth. Lord, as this day begins, we recognize that your sun, like your truth, bathes us in light, and it causes things to grow. We ask with the psalmists who have observed all these things before us that you, O oh God, would send out your light and your truth. Send it out through our church this morning as we read and sing and say your scripture together. Send it out through us as we go home changed and renewed people, full of your light and truth in a world in darkness. Send out your light and your truth where we are hurting and in need of comfort. Send out your light and your truth as we pray now for one another and lift up our concerns before you. Jesus, light of the world, come into the dark places in this earth. Your light shines in darkness and the darkness does not overcome it. We bring to you the darkness of our world and its wars and starvation and cruelty, pandemic and exploitation. We bring to you places like Yemen and Syria, Afghanistan, Ukraine, where people have endured and continue to endure hunger and live in ruins of long-standing conflict. Lord, this morning we pray especially for the families of those in Indonesia who lost loved ones after a plane crash yesterday. Thank you for guiding emergency responders to find the black boxes from those planes. We ask that you would use those recordings to shed light on what happened. We ask that you would light up the darkness for families who are grieving today. Jesus, light of the world, come into the dark places of this earth. Your light shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not overcome it. We bring before you the darkness of this planet, made dark and dirty by our pollution. Lord, send your light and your truth and guide us into new ways to feed a world of seven billion people and to care for this world in ways that do not harm it. For we know that when resources and food become scarce, it is the poor who bear it. Lord, we bring to you as well this country living in darkness, beset with conflict. Lord, we were frightened and we were angry as we watched events unfold in D.C. this week. We grieve that people were injured and died. We grieve also the destruction of something we were supposed to hold in common. We pray for the families of those who watched loved ones rioting, whose family members and friends were wounded or killed. Draw near to them, Lord, with the comforting light of your gospel that washes away shame. We pray for those who were incited to this violence. Their lives have changed because of it. Send your truth, Lord, that they might not live by lies. We pray for members of the House and senators whose lives and livelihoods were invaded and threatened. Comfort them, Lord. Illumine to them a better way forward, toward each other and not away. 
And finally, we pray for Donald and Joe. Though we look up to them and submit to them, you do not address them as presidents. You, O King, address them as persons created in your image. And so we ask that you would give them each what they need, trusting that you see it more clearly than we do. Send your light and truth upon Donald and Joe that they might each put their trust in you. Show them a way to work in the world that longs for and seeks your kingdom and not our own. And because we have seen a lot of violence this year, Lord, we ask for light and truth for us. We have seen riots in many places and for many reasons. Send out your light and truth that we may look beneath the riots and whatever is on the flags and see something common, pain, desperation, despair. For these are the things to which your gospel speaks, and these are the reasons that Jesus came. Lord, we bring to you also the darkness of those today who suffer pain, who live, with, uh, who live lives with the shades drawn and alone. We pray for Babe and for Gracie and for Al and for Audrey and for Deb. We pray for John and Sandy and Johnny and the family mourning Barbara's loss. We pray for Eddie at the passing of Ron. We pray for Rick and Leanne as they prepare to say goodbye to both parents at the same time. Lord, we pray also for all those who are stuck at home, who live in fear, who long for a hug and a visit. We name them to you now in our hearts. We think also of the many, many thousands of people who have COVID and the many, many thousands of hospital research and medical staff who are attempting to care for, treat, and comfort them. And now, Lord, as we turn our attention to your word and a world mired in darkness, we ask that you would send your light and your truth to us. Illumine our minds and our hearts. Show us the dark places within us that we might see Jesus. God, our creator and redeemer, yours is the morning and yours is the evening. We ask that Christ, your son of righteousness, would shine forever in our hearts and draw us all to the light of your radiant glory. We ask this in the name of our redeemer, Jesus Christ. Amen. Luke 3, 1 through 22. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod, patriarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, patriarch of Iturea and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, patriarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, Every mountain and hill made low, 
The crooked roads shall become straight, and the rough ways smooth, and all people will see God's salvation. John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. What should we do then? The crowd asked. John answered, Anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none. And anyone who has food should do the same. Even tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you are required to, he told them. Then some soldiers asked him, and what should we do? He replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. The people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come, the straps of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And with many other words, John exhorted the people and proclaimed the good news to them. But when John rebuked Herod the patriarch because of his marriage to Herodias, his brother's wife, and all the other evil things he had done, Herod added to this them all. He locked John up in prison. When all the people were baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. This is the word of the Lord. You and I are still at the beginning together of all this, and at the very beginning, only a couple of months ago, we began uh, the season of Advent together looking at the Gospel of Luke. We began at the beginning of the birth of Jesus, and Luke there began telling us that he wanted to write an orderly account about Jesus. He wanted to show us Jesus, and now that we are on the other side of Christmas, Jesus has come. But we do not really know what he's like, not yet, which is why over the next few months, we are going to continue where we began, by following Luke 
is he introduces us to Jesus. To do this, we'll be using a calendar of readings called a lectionary, one called the narrative lectionary. You'll hear more about that down the road. Today's reading in that calendar of lectionary comes from Luke chapter 3. It's the very next thing that happens in the story. And today in Luke chapter 3, we meet John in the wilderness in the time of Tiberius Caesar. Luke introduces us to John today. Why? Well, because if we are going to look at Jesus, we're going to find John. It's just what happens. Because John and Jesus, they go together. They always do. Remember that at Christmas, we celebrated the birth of Jesus, but sometimes we forget that God didn't just send us Jesus. He also sent John. John, the firebrand son of a priest, John is all grown up today, and he has found his voice out there in the desert, preaching the good news and baptizing people in the Jordan River. All of this is happening, Luke says, just like Isaiah said that it would. There would be a messenger, a voice calling on ahead to prepare the way, a voice in the wilderness, a voice calling, prepare, 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 the Lord is coming, fix the roads, get ready. And all people will see God's salvation. I am sure that it was quite a sight to see, to see John. This wild man out there all on his own, wearing animal skin and spitting as he talks. The beard must have been incredible. Long and tangled and wild and fierce, much like his preaching. I'd like to show you one of my favorite images of John. That looks about right. This is one of my favorite depictions of John. It's from the Eisenheim altarpiece, and just now that piece of art is on display in France, but originally it's from a set of three panels painted by two German artists in the 16th century. Interestingly, this is what the theologian Karl Barth had hanging over his desk. I was looking at this depiction of John a lot this week. And I wanted to introduce it to you because I think it helps us to see something of what John is like the way that Luke describes him. Unruly beard, rough clothes, the man and the message are one and the same, wild and arresting. You notice that his feet are pointed in two different directions as as though John is forcing us to make a choice as though the time for decisions has come. And he stands as though he's almost straddling something, as though John stands between this world and the world to come and the kingdom of God. Standing uh, there, he has scriptures in one hand, and with his other hand, he points. Which I think captures pretty accurately John's job description. Luke doesn't introduce us to John for entertainment or comic relief. John has a mission, and his mission is to point, to point the finger. There on the banks, the crowds come to John. John does not flatter his audience. He points a metaphorical finger right in their chest, You brood of vipers, he says. Quit relying on the family name for your security in life. God is coming, 
And God can make children from stones if he wants. Your family tree isn't going to save you. Acts is already at the root, John says. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance, he calls. This is what John says to all the people. And this is his mission, to point. John points the finger at the crowd. John points out their false hopes and misplaced trust. Don't trust in your store of extra shirts, John says. Don't trust in your stockpile of food. If you have extra, that doesn't mean you are winning. It means you can share. John points out their selfishness, but it doesn't necessarily look like selfishness to us. Having an extra shirt, having extra food in the cupboard, all of us would probably just take that for good planning. But John points the finger, and in so doing, John points to another way of life, one where you don't have to hoard, because with God, there is always enough. For some reason, even tax collectors come to John, Luke says, even tax collectors. What does John do? John points out their greed. Tax collectors could and were expected to charge whatever they wanted. As long as Rome's bill was paid, Rome didn't care what they charged. John points out that just because it's normal to overcharge doesn't mean it's okay. John points out that the status quo is unjust. And he points them to a new way to be tax collectors. Don't take advantage of people. Do your job. Well then, would you believe it? Even soldiers come. And John points out their abuse of power. Don't use your trusted position in Roman society to lie to your advantage. Don't use your status as a soldier as leverage to extort people. Be content with what you have. John points the finger at each of them. And the strange wonder is that the crowd and the tax collectors and the soldiers, well, they almost seem to want him to. They seem to want John to point out what is wrong and what must change before they are ready for God. They seem to have come almost for that very reason all the way to the banks of the Jordan. And John does not disappoint. John points out all of their excuses for lying and cheating and stealing and slandering and lusting. It's my parents' fault. It's Rome's fault. I'm not that bad. What about the guy over there? And John says, there's nowhere to hide now. The winnowing fork is in his hand. You are on the threshing floor. You, right here, right now. I'm talking to you, John says. And all of the excuses are consumed like so much burning chaff. The word of God is like that in the mouth of a prophet. It is light in a dark, cold world. It is interesting, it is arresting, and it is revealing like a finger pointing at us. Come to think of it, we've seen rather a lot of finger pointing this week, I think. Actually, more broadly, in the last year, have you noticed that suddenly all of us have become incisive cultural critics? We have certainly had ample opportunity to point things out, uh, to sharpen pointer fingers this year. 
We have pointed out rank hypocrisy in political platforms across the aisle from where we view the world. We've become quite good at it. Seriously, I, I'm not joking. The level of ironic inconsistency that people have pointed out in their neighbors is astute. We've gotten very good at using our finger to trace the history of how it is that we all got here in the first place, whether it's explaining recent elections or tracing the lines of historic systemic injustices, we have learned how to point out that the past haunts us all, or rather, the people we disagree with. We can point to flaws in the logic for how you respond to a pandemic, whatever the response. We can point to sources that dispute all facts, we can spot the values hidden in agendas and speeches and budgets. We can point out deep character flaws in others. All last year, we pointed at each other. And we pointed each other. We kept pointing each other in different directions for how to make the world better. We need to go this way. No, we must go that way. This way lies madness. That way is a dead end. We've pointed a lot of fingers this year. And just this week, I was talking with a woman, and she was telling me, well, to be completely honest, she was reluctant to tell me anything. She was afraid that if she mentioned a question or an opinion, that she would be judged, which I think is worth pointing out. After assuring her that I wasn't going to point out her hypocrisy, she told me that she was trying to make a significant medical decision. And advice for her was fraught. One friend pointed her in the direction they thought she should go. Another friend pointed her in the opposite direction. On the verge of tears, she stopped her story. She put her hands down. She sighed and she said, I just don't know who to trust anymore or where to turn. Maybe we should put that on a shirt. Maybe her story points out to us where all of this pointing the finger has got us. Nowhere. With all of this pointing, we've turned ourselves in circles so many times, we're lost. With all of this pointing, we've only made each other enemies. And friends, how can you change if you don't know where to turn? How can you heal if everyone around you is the problem? For all the pointing the finger that we've done this year, one thing that we've seemed to point at very little is ourselves. We can spot the incongruity a mile away, but not so much in the mirror. Which is why we need John. Which is why God sent him. And it's why John's message is actually good news. <laughs> Did you notice that? Luke has the audacity to, to call John's message good news. It's tucked away there right at the end. It goes by real fast. But he has the temerity to say that John's pointing is good news. Why? Well, because John's pointing finally does what all of our pointing cannot. John points the finger at us, and, and finally, finally, we see we are given an epiphany, you might say, that we are the problem. We love the wrong things. 
We become violent when they are threatened. We are the ones who are hopelessly incongruous in this life. Do you know what is so fascinating about John pointing on the banks of the Jordan to me? It's popular. (laughs) Crowds have come. Crowds have come full of ordinary people. Soldiers are, are standing there right next to the crowds whom they oppress. Tax collectors rub shoulders with the people whom they take money from. Isn't that fascinating? Rural country folk with traditional family values, farmers, herders, they're standing there right next to urban elites from the cities and traitors to their own nation, next to foreign occupying military personnel. That must be the most amazing thing about this passage, that people from such different cultural worlds and values, sworn enemies, in fact, could stand together, side by side, somehow in desperate need of the exact same thing. But that's what John's message does, though, doesn't it? It points to something that gets beneath our likes and our interests and our opinions and our accomplishments. It gets beneath our cherished self-images and our astute observations of others. And it awakens a hunger deep within us that we say with wild urgency that I need that. John points the finger, and that's how the good news starts. It's what the gospel does. For friends, we are forever saying, Lord, Lord, burn up those other people like chaff. John points the finger at us, and we realize that we are the chaff. And suddenly we find ourselves asking a very different, pleading a very different question. Lord, burn up the chaff that is in me. John points the finger at us and we know suddenly that we will never find the direction, the change, the healing when we are pointing at each other. Okay, we say, so tell us what to do. We're ready, John. We're ready because we know we're not ready. Point the way, John. John says, come and be washed. Come with your clothes on or naked. It's embarrassing either way. Come and say, I'm not ready. I want a new future with God I cannot find on my own. I am miserable. But know that John's message will not abide thinking it over. If you want to understand it, there's only one thing to do. Stop turning in circles, put down the finger, and come to the Jordan and wash. John's out there in the water. He's out there far enough that you cannot just dip your toe in. You must leave the shore. You must put yourself in John's arms, let him push you under the water. John's message is not something to admire or emulate. It is something to submit yourself to, even as John, for all his fire, submits before one and only one Lord. And and if you do, you will find that this is good news because Jesus is there among the crowd of those who are searching for a different way for a fresh start, who are sick to death of their sin. 
Friends, John's message is good news because it points out to us that the one who is God in the flesh, the one who brings forgiveness with him, who leads us like a shepherd, who heals all our diseases and forgives all our sins, is standing here among us. Jesus comes out of Nazareth, a town as insignificant as we are, and from there he descends into the waters of the Jordan, which we have muddied with our sin. And that's where Jesus' work begins. It begins with John and with Jesus going down into the waters of our misery. We find the Messiah where our misery is. That is good news. Because Jesus owns the winnowing fork John mentioned. And Jesus does not toss us into the fire. His winnowing fork becomes a cross. And he allows himself to be judged for us on it. We deserve the axe, but by God's grace, we get the lamb. We should expect hellfire, but we meet Jesus whose forgiveness is a soothing balm. The righteous judge is the gentle Christ. John points the finger at us so that really we can see that he is pointing beyond us. He is pointing to something that we didn't see and that we couldn't hear and we could not find on our own. What is it? Something new, something very, very good, a voice, a voice. The Spirit of God descends like a dove, and the voice of God Almighty tells us that Jesus is the one. Jesus is the one whom God loves. And I, I'd just like to point out that now, because of what he did, You are God's beloved too. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Would you pray with me? Lord God, it is hard enough to see where you are moving in this world. Then we add to it the realization that we are not just poor of sight, we are blind. And so with the psalmists who have come before us, who ask for eyes to be opened, who plead for you to dig out our ears, we ask that for us too, that you would heal our eyes that we might see, that you would open our ears that we might hear. We ask that you would help us to see Jesus baptized in our misery who dies our death leading us into a very different way of life. We ask that we might hear you calling him the beloved so that we can know that he came so that we could be too. We pray this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Friends, I'd invite you to rise in body or in spirit. Let's respond to God together singing.
and sisters, as those desperate in this world for a word of grace for ourselves and one that is good also for all others, the wonder of the gospel is this. God in Jesus has turned his face toward you. He smiles on you. He shines on you. And he is not going to change his mind. In that abundantly strong hope and grace, I invite you to open your hands to receive it so that we can go out carrying it with us. May Christ, the Son of God, be manifest in you, that your lives may be a light to the world and the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be among you and remain with you always. Amen. Let's go singing.
Who is red? 
privilege to worship with you, Pleasant Street. Go and enjoy your week in the presence of God. Amen.